From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM, chaifm.com. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. Good to be with you, bringing you all the best in Jewish current affairs and politics. And today, art, because uh, we are in studio with Craig Dershowitz. He's from Artists for Israel. And we're going to be talking in the show today about graffiti, about art, about Jewish topics, about what is it like on campus, about what is it like to have a lot of tattoos, because Craig has a few. And uh, just all these sorts of interesting things, really, really exciting. Excited. If you're listening to us on the Jerusalem Post, welcome as well. Or if you're listening to us live, it's good to be with you. Welcome to the show, Craig. Nice to have you on the New Blue Review. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. So let's just get this one out the way. <laughs> Why are you not in law school with a name like Dershowitz? Yeah. <laughs> so, as I love to say before any speech, uh, I actually did surprisingly make it into a whole bunch of law schools, including Harvard. Wow. And I, yeah. And I wrote to a gentleman by the name of Alan Dershowitz. We share a surname. And I said to him, is that the surname? We don't use that expression in the U.S. We yeah, surname, a, a surname, name. surname, last name. Yeah, no, it's all good, it's all good. And I said, should I, you know, should I go? This is what I'm thinking. And he never responded to me. So I decided to abandon my pursuit of anything academic at that point and started getting tattoos and writing graffiti and doing all sorts of other activities that made my mom not so proud. Well, you may have got OJ off, but he at least put you in clearly the right direction for I, what you I, wanted to I do, I right? So. And we're now speaking at the same panels all the time. So I guess, uh, you know, roundabout, but we came to the same path. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talk to us a little bit. You are part of Artists for Israel. Uh, what is that all about? We're trying to figure that out ourselves. No, um, in all seriousness, Artists for Israel protects, beautifies, and heals communities that have been ravished by war and conflict, particularly in Israel, and now we're expanding across the world. Uh, we began as an advocacy organization that noticed the trends, the anti-Israel trends in pop culture and media, and then wanted to combat those. But then what we saw around two, three years in, we started doing a lot of charitable work in Israel, stuff that really impacted and helped people on the ground. And that was where our passion and our heart lie. We wanted to know we were having an impact, not just feel like maybe hopefully sometime in the future something good came out of our work. You know, it's hard to measure advocacy. And then our work continues to do that. So we bring artists from around the world. They fall in love with the country. These are the trendsetters, the opinion makers and, and policy shapers who come with us. And then their huge followings, their giant fan bases get a sense of Israel as a normal, loving, artistic place. It's very interesting you talk about Israel in the pop culture world. It is kind of a topic that we tend to think about as the Washington belt and the the politicians and occasionally the business world. Where is the artistic world in, in, in Israel today? So Israel's artistic world, first of all, I have to give a shout out to everybody there, is really in such a renaissance. They're creating art across all spectrums, all mediums, and really some of the best artists coming out of the world these days, particularly in dance and contemporary visual art, are coming from Israel. Israel's also got a burgeoning graffiti and street art scene, um, a music scene that's really wonderful. I mean, so there's really so much happening. As far as how it's perceived in the world, of course, the BDS movement, which is affecting so much of what we do, is having an impact. And there's a bunch of artists who are trying to either not play in Israel, although those tend to be kind of silly. You know, you'll have a group of Irish fiddlers who decide they're not going to perform in it. Like, neither am I. Like, it's fine. I'm not going to perform in Israel either because no one wants to hear me perform because I don't know how and no one's going to buy my ticket. So if I just say I'm going to boycott, great. You know, all of a sudden I have the news. Um, but And Israeli artists that people are trying not to allow at outside events. But what I find in the art world is that they're not taking to that message. 
you know, yeah, you've got the Irish fiddlers and a few idiots that want to get themselves on the news, but for the most part, artists accept artists across all political, religious, national divides. But they do come, generally speaking, artists from that sort of progressive stream. I mean, you're an, an L.A. West Coast native. You kind of fit in with the culture, right? Oh, wait, wait. I got to interrupt you. I'm a Brooklyn native. Oh, wow. Brooklyn yeah, who lives in L.A. Out there. I live in L.A. Born okay. and raised in Brooklyn. Look, uh, look, East Coast, West Coast, you know, you're, <laughs> Biggie Park. you're not you're not part of flyover America, right? Exactly. Fair enough. <laughs> but and, and there is sort of an unease amongst the pro-Israel community about what that population thinks about Israel, you know, there's a sense of they're not so sure. I mean, is it, or is that just something that we get from from watching too much Fox News? Of course, there's a reflexive concern about Israel amongst the artistic world, amongst the quote left leaning people. But the truth is that artists are oftentimes so left that they defy that stereotype of left to right or pro or anti, you know, they're really opening to open to hearing and seeing and experiencing so much. I think that we live in an unfortunate bubble, an echo chamber where the sky is constantly falling. And that's not been the experience that I have. I bring artists all the time and I've never had one artist say no to me for a political reason. They will ask questions and they'll be pointed legit questions, but they're always open. You know, I like to say, you know, we like to think in black and white artists see so many shades of color. You know, for them, it's not about that kind of like dichotomous view. And so I've never had anyone reject a trip for that reason and constantly being embraced. You know, our name is Artists for Israel and people do ask the question, you know, it's a very pointed name, but they still work with us. In fact, <clears throat> we came here to South Africa, which is supposed to be the worst of the worst when it comes to BDS and, and anti-Israel sentiment. I worked with every major local street artist here and it took there was no convincing it was, do you want to work with us on this important work that we're doing? And I'm open to answer any questions you might have. And they all said yes, pretty pretty fast. And I want to get into that work in a minute because I think it is absolutely fascinating. And what you've been doing here is is incredible. I want to quickly ask a philosophical question about the nature of art, you know, uh, not being someone who, who ever really dealt with that sort of stuff. The classic liberal idea of art, art for art's sake, beauty, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was how I grew up understanding art until I got to campus and encountered things like the BDS, horrendous cartoons about Israel, uh, you know, old stereotypes being used even in graffiti or in street art. For the first time, I encountered art as, as the aggressor, as not making the world a beautiful place. What is your take on how people should view art or how it should be used? Is it just a a neutral thing that you put your expression on or, or, or can it be politicized or propagandized? So once it moves into that realm of propaganda, it's no longer art. It Art then is perhaps the, the intended methodology, but it's not the conceptuality of it, right? Art is something that exists independent of that, or at least the real distinction is who's paying for that art. Now, an art can have a political message, and oftentimes it does. Oftentimes it does without us even realizing it. Of course, Picasso's famous Guernica, which is one of the greatest anti-war pieces ever painted, people of his generation did not necessarily know that right away unless they were versed in what he was doing and what was happening in, in Franco's war. So, But it's a matter of when someone pays you to do something. Um, but as far as what art can be... Art exists across all boundaries. So, yes, it can be making something beautiful. And oftentimes I wish we would just go back to that place. You know, we live in such a contentious world. What's wrong with beauty these days, you know, for for its sake, for its own sake? Um, it could also be political. It's So much of it is what the perception 
of the individual is. And of course, there's an idea that someone said to me recently, which I love, which is living artfully, <laughs> living a creative lifestyle, living something that you feel transcends the typical boundaries and does so with panache, I guess, for lack of a, a better word. Which is why art is such a powerful medium for doing the work that you do in terms of Israel and the Palestinians and Arab Israelis and, and all sorts of things, because it is a potential if people buy into this idea of breaking boundaries where you can get conversations going across cultures, across political divides, across any, any boundary really, and get people actually engaging with one another. Oh, absolutely. The wonderful thing about, you know, and we work or we're here, so I'm, I'm focused right now on the graffiti and street art element, is that there's an entire language that we speak regardless of which known languages we speak. So I can have a – we, Artists for Israel, brought artists from France, Portugal, Spain, and the U.S. here. And we had no problem communicating with each other because there's a parlance that we take. You know, my wife, who is Israeli but speaks fluent, perfect English, will hear me and my friends and say, I, I know every word, but I don't understand the way you put them together, and I have no idea what you said. So quite literally, we speak our own language, and because of that, we really – it doesn't matter where you're from, which one global community – Let's talk a little bit about uh, graffiti and street art for a bit. Uh, in some cities, it's seen as like cool and we should have it all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's let's do it. And particularly, I think in Johannesburg, uh, if you were doing that sort of thing, you would have uh, encountered that. Uh, Cape Town, not so much. Also different cities around the world. Where is graffiti as an art form at the moment? So I'm a purist. I'm a traditionalist. I like to say graffiti is something that's illegal. But at this and, and so if, if it's not tagged, it's not done. It's not allowed. You're tagging your name. It's the thing that we consider graffiti. It's that vandalism is really a better word for it these days. Um, and a lot of graffiti artists kind of feel that way. So the new form, the stuff that we do, these giant pieces that are just absolutely gorgeous, that's muralism. Um, and then street art, street art has its own thing. Um, and I don't like to do that division because, you know, as a society, we love to pull things apart and then we can't unify them again afterwards. So we'll just call it all art. Um, but they can't exist independent of each other. Everyone who does these gorgeous 500-yard-long murals around the world, they started with writing their name in some kind of weird cursive font on a wall somewhere and pissing off the local community. And then it evolved. So it's like anything else. Listen, the first work done by Magritte was probably not the most beautiful thing in the world. Um, whether he did it on canvas or on somebody's wall, it's really the same learning curve that you're talking about. Okay, so educate me as a complete ignoramus. Who is Magritte? Magritte. Oh, sorry. No, I'm talking he, a, a fine artist. Okay. Whose work is now seen, you know, he's considered one of the one of the masters of, uh, I guess he would fall under m modern art. Okay, good to know. I've learned something already. He's famous for a giant rock, a painting of a giant rock kind of suspended in midair. And he really plays with like uh, light and heavy and, and shadows and kind of like plays with our perception of, of what substance is. Anyway. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, I, don't, I don't need to probe Magritte. <laughs> what the kind of stuff are you doing then, given that sort of dichotomy? You, you, you've come to South Africa. Uh, you've been working with different communities, underprivileged kids in, in uh, kind of depressed areas in, in the cities. Uh, there's some interesting thoroughfares, roads and stuff. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about some of the work that you've been doing here. Right. So we were brought here by the South African Friends of Israel, the Zionist Federation, and a few like-minded organizations. And it was wonderful because they said to us, oh, we're thinking about bringing you, 
you know, do you want to do this stuff on campus? Do you want to do this Israeli advocacy? And I said, yes, but only if we get to help the people here. And they said, now we know we're bringing you because that's the answer we wanted, which was wonderful. So we have been in City Kids School, which is in inner city Johannesburg. We were in Cliptown and throughout the rest of Soweto. We were actually in Cape Town and we were in Danoon and a few other townships. So our idea is that we constantly have to be giving back. You know, art is such an amazing tool, especially graffiti and street art, because it can change the landscape of a place in no time. You know, literally snap your fingers, boom, there's a mural put up, there's a change in the mindset of the people there. And so that we made a point to do this. So we've been throughout all of the areas of the country um, doing just that and really kind of trying to interact with the children there, get a sense of what they wanted, what would make them feel better, and then put that on a wall. It must have been an absolutely fascinating process. Did you find that South African kids are different in their art requirements from other kids around the world? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> children, are, children are like artists, or <laughs> I should probably say artists are like, like children. <laughs> your wife is not listening, I'm assuming. No, exactly. <laughs> um, I have like I have like five thousand kids I, I work with. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> um, no, so um, you know, children around the world. I mean, that's the beauty, right? I hate to be cliched. But this is the hope for the next generation. They see people who are doing something and they want to participate. They want to come over. They're the first ones to come run over and say, that's awesome. Thank you. You know, they're the first ones to come over and and give you a hug, especially South Africa. South Africans love to hug. Um, It's the adults who will sit there and kind of be afraid and shy and have these walls up and eventually come over. And it's all the question, why are you doing this? What are you painting? What does that mean? It's like we painted a sunshine. What could a sunshine mean? Like what's the political <laughs> ramifications of that? But children don't have that, that boundary and neither do artists. So it's amazing because they speak that, that universal language I was talking about immediately. It's about the colors. It's about the, the pretty pictures. You know, it's we want to like overanalyze everything. Children and artists, man, they just want to make things look better. So what kind of stuff have you been painting here besides sunshine? Besides sunshine? Um <laughs> Uh, each artist kind of, that we brought has their own unique thing. So there's been a lot of people. What we find, especially in inner cities or in, or in townships and communities such as that, is that the people feel underrepresented. So what we do is we'll take an image of one of the people living in the community or an amalgamation and we'll put up a drawing of that. And it's a sense of like, this is my place. This is who I am. I am here. I am seen and I am heard. So there's been a lot of that. There's also been especially in the inner city and townships because they tend to be so gray, which is such a depressing color. Tons of just different kind of art, uh, color matching and shapes and abstracted stuff simply for the fact of packing in as much bright color as possible. You know, literally there's warm and dark, uh, warm and cold colors, concrete, all of that are very cold. They, they create a sense of, of foreboding chill in the, in the body, you know, literally un, uncontrollable to you and foreboding. Um, and so we're putting in reds and yellows and blues. So the artists are known for what they do, but they've abandoned that um, a lot of times for the sake of just getting as big an impact as possible in the time they've had. And working with South African artists, what's that been like? Wonderful. <clears throat> Wonderful. In Cape Town, we worked with Falco, who's probably one of the most famous artists from South Africa. He paints, to go to your last question, elephants. Yes, the elephants are very famous. I've the seen them in Soweto famous. and they're mm-hmm. pink and purple and all sorts all of things. All different colors and, and some mandala shapes behind them and all kinds of things. And they're wonderful because people react to them. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves an elephant, right? It's the big five. Um, and so he, he does that and it, it immediately affects the people there. Um, 
and he was wonderful. He was brilliant to work with. We worked with Rasty and Mars and Zesta, and I just want to shout out all these guys and Bias and all of these local artists here. Um, and it was immediately one big family. You know, we you do the artwork, you speak without speaking with the spray cans. Instantly, we were all collaborating together, which is great. Um, and then we're hanging out at night, sharing stories, and it's a wonderful way. I was actually with Rasty all last night. I probably learned more about South African culture, about the politics, about the history than I would going to a museum because you get that real human perspective. And that's what it's all about, right, is that human connection. Well, I'm going to have to get them to Israel at some point. Amen. <laughs> let, let people know. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to send some uh, graffiti artists uh, to, to Israel, that's, that's what you guys do. Let's talk a little bit also about, uh, I mean, depressed is one thing, but places like Sterot where you've been very active. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you're using art in those areas to, to help the kids, not just from a mural perspective, but from all sorts of perspectives. So Sterot was really that big turning point that I was talking about where we went from a focus on advocacy to a focus on charitable humanitarian work. We went to Starot saying, hey, we just want to paint a couple of the bomb shelters here. I mean, just to, to go back, Starot sits on the border of Aza. It's constantly under rocket attack, particularly during conflict times. And the people there are the money that's, well, excuse me, supposed to be spent on infrastructure and all kinds of things is being spent on building bomb shelters. And so you have a depressed community and you have a community that's, According to some estimates, up to 80% of the people, of the children under the age of 25, suffering from some form of post-traumatic stress disorder. So our first intention was to go there and paint some pretty pictures on the, on the bomb shelters. But immediately we saw what a change it made. People were coming outside. They were looking at that. What used to be these fearful reminders of war. You know, imagine even when the rockets aren't falling, you're staring at these reminders that people are trying to kill you. That's what you, you wait to go to school in a school bus. And by the way, someone's trying to kill you because you're standing under this fortified bus stop. Um, so once that need became evident, we painted every bomb shelter we could there. And we were honored with the key to the city of Starot. And that's when we said, you know what? Art has power. We can do this in other places. And we began expanding outwards. One of my artists on a trip there was like, we need to do more. And so we came up with the idea. We realized and we did some research that you can't prevent this post-traumatic stress disorder that affects the people there. Uh, sorry, you can't. You can't cure it. So we said maybe we can prevent it. And we did a lot of research, and we found out that art therapy, if done right, if applied in the right ways, can prevent new cases of PTSD. And so we've actually developed something we call the Healing Arts Kits, which is just that. It's a psychological emergency first aid kit, which has been proven now since during and since the last conflict with AZA to prevent new cases of PTSD. That's absolutely remarkable. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. If you're listening to us on Chai FM or indeed on the Jerusalem Post, welcome to the show. It is good to be with you. We've been talking to Craig Dershowitz. He's from Artist for Israel, talking about the work that he does with art, uh, the running around the world with different artists, graffiti. Basically, it's your art history lesson, but mm -hmm. much more enjoyable. We'll be back just after this. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. So, Craig, let's talk a little bit about your advocacy side of things. I mean, you do spend a little bit of time on campuses doing work with Jewish students. You have some very famous art that's used uh, to support Jewish students on things like apartheid weeks and that sort of thing. Talk to us a little bit about how you approach a, a campus issue. 
So campus is kind of funny for us because we know there's so many organizations that that's what they focus on. And they're wonderful, and we want to support their efforts. And we also know it's kind of their bread and butter. It's, it's what they exist for. That's not the case with Artists for Israel. We provide a service to these schools because what we do is we bring these artists. They've all been to Israel with us, so they have an understanding of the country, and they have an ability to speak about the country in a real personal way that others perhaps can't do, and they're very relatable. And we start making murals on campus, both on our own and helping the students create theirs. And what it does is, like all art, it attracts an audience. And next thing you know, we have 400, 500 students coming up to us. They're diverse, every race, ethnicity, religion. So whereas a lot of these organizations have difficulty bringing 10 students to an event, and they seem to be the choir, we're bringing four or 500, and they are open and willing to hear the message you have to say. Now, Artists for Israel, because of our stance of not kind of getting involved in that political side of things, we don't message to them. That becomes the, the opportunity for all of these other organizations that, that think they know the right thing to say. So we're, we give them the microphone, we give them the people listening, and, and you know, please go on with that. Our thing is that the real advocacy lies in creating an emotional attachment to Israel. So for us, it's good enough that someone comes over and they see that this pro-Israel organization or this Jewish organization is doing something very cool. That they're not engaged in the shouting match between the anti-Israel and the pro-Israel people. That they're not butting heads over the same boring topics that they've heard each side yell their opinion about forever. It's an idea of, wow, they're doing something that resonates with me. I need to consider them in a better light now. But at the same time, you have done some fairly controversial stuff. It, you know, it, you, you're not ashamed of, of some of the positions you take. Uh, you have, for example, schlepped a bomb shelter onto campuses, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. I mean, so Hardest for Israel through our – I mean, it's been six years of, of intense work. I mean, every day is a, is a new project. We've done some – some things, um, and we're proud of everything we've done. Everything we've done, we've kept the legitimacy to it. Our message is always clean. It's always art first. So, for instance, we have the Bomb Shelter Museum of Living History is the long and very wordy name. And the idea is that one day, hopefully, bomb shelters will disappear, and all we'll have is this, remember this remembrance of it, and it simulates it's an actual shelter that simulates in frightening detail living through a rocket attack. And we've brought it all over the U.S. on college campuses, in public spaces, even on Capitol Hill at Washington, D.C. And we invite people to go in and see what it's like. We'll even set off air raid sirens and yell at the people through megaphones. They've got 15 seconds to get to the shelter or God knows what's going to happen to them. And you don't consider that to be like a political message? Everything is a political message. I tell my artists when they step off a plane in Israel, if you sneeze, someone's going to think you're saying something. <laughs> um, we've also got a 20-foot-tall inflatable Pinocchio doll that it may or may not be ours. It is. Um, <laughs> I won't admit that if it wasn't High FM. Um, this is friendly yeah. friendly press here. No, it doesn't go further than the station, all right? All right. There you go. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, but, you know, and we blow them up outside of a speaker who's telling lies. So our thing is like, you know, we don't want to get involved in that back and forth discourse. But what we do want to do is call out those propagandists, those people, not because they're lying about Israel, which in and of itself is offensive enough. Those people who are manipulating and using art and ruining something that I care very much about. You know, art is about beauty. It's about creation and it's about truthful, honest dialogue. It is not about being paid to promote your hateful message. I want to go back to the point that you made earlier about kind of bringing the the organizations, the crowd, and a microphone. Your influence there is that 
maybe they're not getting quite the right message across, and that perhaps Israel advocacy is is, is I'm not saying it right. I'm saying it outright. All right, so so they're not getting the right message across. <laughs> so what would you say is is the problem with our message as as a pro-Israel community? I mean, it's difficult because I've got to work with a lot of these organizations. <laughs> okay, um, okay, so they're not so listening. Any, any organization that that is considering working with us, you're the exception. <laughs> I am not talking. This is what happens when we talk in the mornings. <laughs> I haven't had I haven't had my uh, coffee. No, not my coffee, but my yeah, my coffee. Well, you're from Brooklyn. You're right, you've got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say whatever. Um, <laughs> you wanted a good interview, right? Let's have fun with let, it. Let, let's open it up. Um, so I'll tell you what's wrong with this, and I'm absolutely freaking furious with this. And it, it came up today. I get an email from everybody because they know of, you know, besides all the other artwork we do, and we've done work across all mediums, we're the graffiti organization. I get an email, and I won't name who or what. There's a, quote, graffiti artist who just did something at the Perez Center in in Jerusalem. I saw that on Facebook. Right. And the Israel Ministry of Foreign Education, who we have worked with, says, you know, um, we're going to use graffiti to become ambassadors and fight BDS. And I, it reminds me of, of a thing I love to say. Who? Let me ask you a question, okay, Benji? Oh, okay. Yeah. Who is the greatest spy of all time? Um... That woman who, who they killed eventually. Wrong. Okay. Uh, Ellie Cohen? Wrong. Although both great answers. <laughs> all right, greatest, I give up. Who's the greatest spy of all time? <laughs> He's asking Vuzi, who's our sound engineer, in case you're listening. Vuzi, you don't have an idea? No, Vuzi has no idea, right? People, people in the audience, call in. <laughs> um, is there a number? No, the greatest spy of all time, we don't know. Because they were really, really good at being a spy. Right? We, like... You know, I, like, who is it? Jay-Z says, you know, you respect the one who got shot. I respect the shooter. Like, we don't want the hero who got caught. No, the good spy never got caught. The good advocate did not announce to people what he was doing. Because then you have people, listen, I'll say this. And there's lots of issues I have with the advocacy community. This is the biggest one. I don't know if it was big here, but American football players were supposed to be brought to Israel. And the Israel Foreign Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I guess I'm never getting a government grant, um, said, we want you to be ambassadors for Israel. And the football players got some BDS bug, and they were like, well, we don't want to be used. We don't want to be manipulated. All of the anti-Israel sentiment is based around the belief that we do not respect the humanity of other people, in particular the Palestinians, but in, gen in broad strokes. And yet, we are going to openly admit that we are going to bring human beings down to the idea of being a soundbite or a a tool for our use. We're only justifying that sentiment that they're putting out against us. No. Come to Israel and paint a mural because a mural is beautiful. And if you see Israel for yourself and someone asks you if they should go, tell them yes. But let's make it about the human being experience. Let's not make it about we must announce everything we're doing and telegraph what we're doing. And I'm just furious because all these organizations involved are making my job harder now because every artist is going to look at me and go, are you exploiting me? And luckily we have enough skin in the game and people know us well enough to know that's not what I'm about. But let's let's try to shy away from being so annoying as a as a community. So keep it authentic, people. It's all about authenticity. And keep it cool. I mean, maybe that was the other inference I was going to do with the follow-up question is that somehow – there is a sort of deep Talmudist way in which uh, advocacy organizations operate. And I talk as being someone who's involved with that community, mm -hmm. that it's a lot of text and it's a lot of yes. in 1948 and the Balfour Declaration kind of thing, yes, right? Yes. And you're not about that. Well, no. So here's the, here's the issue. I'll say this. First of all, 
the Jewish people in the advocacy community are an amazingly smart bunch of folks, really caring, concerned, intelligent. They make their decisions based on fact-gathering and truth-seeking, and it's wonderful, and I commend them. But most of us don't do that. Most of us don't care about what happened in 1917 or 48 or 62 or da 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 right? We don't have time. We've got jobs. We've got kids. We've got this and that. We want to watch bad TV, darn it. You know, give us our bad TV. Um, and so we make decisions based on gut reactions. I always compare this to who's your favorite football club. Right. You don't have a good reason why you root for whomever, right? Kaiser Chiefs or – wait, is that – Okay, one? now you've just gone and lost the international audience. Uh, <laughs> Kaiser Chiefs is a soccer club here, people. I've um, seen I've seen the, the, the kits. Um, uh, it's it's so, a very famous soccer team here. So is that, it? And in fact, just in a complete aside, there was a British band that then named itself the Kaiser Chiefs because of the fact that they'd seen the footy, football club here called Kaiser Chiefs. So, you know. There you go. There so you there's go. that political influence, right? <laughs> And, and you've, you're shaping music, you know, you're shaping so much. But the point is, you're right. And so rather than talk to people in dry, boring facts and figures, which if that worked, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation, right? We've been doing this for 50, 100 years, yet it keeps failing. Got to, maybe we should switch up our tactics here. Um, we want to talk to people's hearts. We mm-hmm. want to talk to people's minds. And we forget sometimes that maybe that's all that we really need to do is touch on the emotional center. Well, I had the opportunity to watch you work on campus a little bit while you were here in South Africa, one of the more aggressive campuses on a, on a reasonably aggressive day. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting to watch. Uh, you were basically just graffitiing, graffitiing people's shirts, right? Allowing them to, if they spoke about Israel, understood something about it, to, to, to get a graffiti shirt. And, and the other side just had the angries, right? They, they brought the guys who were shouting and who were annoyed. And on the other side of the tent where, where, the, where the Jewish kids were, there was just like hordes of people who were just like loving the engagement. I wish you could see the, the audience could see me giving that knowing <laughs> we're great look that I'm giving right the, now. The smugness is just like oh, flowing man, out of the studio. Outrageous. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the real way that Artists for Israel started, which isn't really well known, is that there was a – it was during one of the AZA operations and there was – anti-Israel people on one side and pro-Israel people on the other side and I was trying to go to work and they were just annoying the heck out of me, right? They're yelling at each other and it's like, man, I just want, I really care too about Israel but I just want to go to work and you all just look ugly, you know, like when your face is twisted in that rage. So myself and a few artists made signs, beautiful pieces of artwork on giant things of paper, kind of troll everybody, right? Artists for Israel, we were like the first troll, okay? I hate to say that. Because we were just like, you're all ugly, we're making something pretty. Um, and then one of us wrote Artists for Israel on the back, and next thing you know, everyone's stopping us and saying, I'm an artist who supports Israel, how do I get involved with your organization? And we were like, oh, I guess... We have an organization. An organization there. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, no one wants to hear them. We get so caught up in it because we live in this echo chamber, and we believe everyone cares about Israel, right? Either hates it or loves it. Truth is, according to certain studies and research, that's about 20% of the world population has any opinion about Israel. Right? The rest of us want to go about our day. So we're reaching out to that 80% and we're creating that first association they have. I love the fact that the other side, the first association you have with anti-Israel people is angry, marching, spitting ugliness. And what you have with us are people that are, one, giving something back, two, creating something beautiful, and three, happy, light, cheerful human beings who don't need to be defensive because our cause doesn't need to be defended because it's true and just. 
And how do you find when you take other artists from around? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of them are from America. That's your that's your base of artists. Uh, I don't know if you take international artists we as well. With, we've worked with artists from 21 different countries. Okay, so there's a, a very much global, well, we're global right. completely global. How do you find you know them in Israel outside of the art? Because I imagine that getting them into the society is really also like half of the fun. You know, there, I mean, I could sit here for days and tell you hysterical stories that have to do with cultural misunderstandings. But for the most part, it's always quite wonderful and welcoming. Um, and the best part is it's always the people you least expect it. So you'll be in an ultra-Orthodox community. And instantly, as the, as the leader of the trip, I'm like, oh, man, what if something happens here, right? And they're the ones that are just coming out with, like, food and cakes and desserts, you know, um, and embracing us. It's it's the smug Tel Avivians who are like, oh, we're too good for that. We know art that are the annoying ones, right? Um, so, no, no, we've never had any kind of major international incident that way. Um, when you're doing good work, people tend to flock to you. Can I tell you one antidote, one funny story? By all means. So I had, we had a team of all women artists who were there during Women's History Month. And we went to an ultra-Orthodox shul uh, for Shabbat just to see what it was like, okay? And... The, the girls were sitting in the back, and obviously I wasn't sitting with them to kind of guide them through it because it was a you know a separate shul. And at one point, it's right before the um, Bowie Kala, right? So this woman turns around to them. And now these girls are like not your type of tattooed, you know, weird, half their head shaved, like not what you'd expect. They, they look tougher and cooler than any of the guys we've ever brought. And this woman turns around to them and goes, in a few minutes, we're going to turn around and stare at you. But we're not staring at you. It's part of the it's part of the prayer. Like we're staring at the wall behind you, and it was great because I was like, "How thoughtful, you know?" Because these girls would have been like, "What is going on?" All of a sudden, the entire audience is staring at me. Um, but little things like that, you know, it's that it's again, it's that humanity that exists when you put yourself in a place of art and you remove yourself from any of that hatred and that vitriol. That's when people find the true essence of who they're supposed to be. And do you take the artists and actually get them to do the art therapy or is that done through like a separate uh, group of people? How does that process so work? So it's really two different groups right now. So the artists that we work with all kind of fit into their role. So the tattoo artists do tattoos, the graffiti artists do graffiti, the street where fashion designers do that. The Healing Arts Kits is actually something we're considering even spinning off into a completely different nonprofit organization. That was put together by a team of psychiatrists, psychologists, art therapists, parents, teachers, and emergency medical first responders. And there is some interplay between the two of them in that a lot of the materials in them, like the design, was done by artists. But they, they kind of exist. We, we put the right people, the right professionals in the right place. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM, chaifm.com. If you're listening to us on Chai FM, good to be with you on the live show or for Jerusalem Post from anywhere in the world. It's good to be uh, having you on the show as well. We're talking to Craig Dershowitz. He is uh, from Artists for Israel, and uh, he has been talking to us about art and uh, its healing qualities and the fun that you can have with it and its uh, relation to Israel. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Craig, I, I want to also just talk, I mean, we've kind of focused a lot on the, the graffiti side of things, the street art. You, you kind of did mention the, the fashion design and, and that sort of thing. You say you work on all kinds of art. Just give us a sense about that broad stroke. What kind of art? I mean, are you, is it also musicians? Is it also, you know, where do you kind of focus? Where's your wheelhouse? So when Artists for Israel first started, we were across all mediums. 
in the very beginning, we did off-Broadway theater. We did hip-hop concerts, rock and roll concerts, um, fine art events, photography exhibitions, and all of that. And we found that our wheelhouse and what people were really interested in, and again, there's you know only so many days in the week so that we can't do everything, is what we kind of love to refer to as lowbrow arts. Um, probably a better term would be avant-garde. So we're working with that contemporary urban art form. So the four pillars that we focus on are graffiti slash street art, tattooing, streetwear design, and then um, um, graphic design with a particular focus on these kind of figures, these toy figures that are very popular amongst uh, the kind of 18 and under sect. Talk to us a little bit about the, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Zero. (laughs) What, What are you talking about collectible toys? You know, I don't get it either. Um, <laughs> so many things I'm – I really hope that <laughs> no, no one, one ever shares asked this outside of our community here. No, it's uh, – so there's a – there are these collectible figurines that are kind of affectionately called toys, but they're not because they really are just collectible figures. So it's kind of like similar to our parents used to – some I mean, some of my parents used to collect these little little cutie baby dolls like holding each other and they became very they – they, they had a wealth and a value to them that, Precious moments is what they were called. Okay. Feel free to send a sponsorship check. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is a huge thing now, and they, they're very cool because they're designed by all these great artists, and they, they're really interesting. Um, there's a famous graffiti artist, Cause, who designed one, and that's now he's brought all over the world to do giant life-size versions of his figures. Anyway. Are, the, are these dinosaurs? Are they lions? Are they people? Things of some are dinosaurs, some are lions, things of just totally of people's imaginations. What really sparked it, it's really wonderful, there's a company called Kid, Rob, Kid Robot who actually defied BDS calls to sponsor one of our trips. And they make a thing called a dunny and a money, which is a do-it-yourself. So it's a, just an outline of something that kind of looks like a rabbit, maybe, um, if you like squint. Um, but the idea is that they, it goes to people and kids and adults around the world, and they make their own, and they create their own design. So that's really what goes into it. So there's no shortage of what these things are. Half of them you can't explain. Um, but they're collected. I mean, there's a, a secondary market for these things. There are people who spend hours researching them and finding ones by their favorite artist. And, you know, this is the stuff This is the stuff we focus on because the rest of the advocacy world, one, doesn't know this and get it, and two, doesn't understand how important it is to people. Right. It's like a collectible pair. I mean... You know, I'll tell you, I know when a pair of sneakers is re-released or something, and, you know, I'm sure the director of some major nonprofit organization couldn't care less. But this is what the kids care about. And the other thing I wanted to ask about is is the issue of tattoos, right? Uh, Jews and tattoos not always had such a, a strong relationship. Uh, when you're doing this kind of thing, first of all, you know, what kind of uh, reaction do you get from sort of ultra-Orthodox communities where this thing is a, a, a tattoo taboo, if you like? And I mean, are you going to, is it people in Tel Aviv who you're tattooing? Or how, how does that work? I'm fascinated. So we just came back from our first tattoo project. And I, I just want to be clear. We're not just tattooing willy-nilly running around the city with a machine. Uh, we tattoo. <laughs> to 25 Israelis that were injured in either a terrorist attack or fighting in a war. And we are talking absolute heroes. We tattooed somebody who he and his commanding officer jumped on a homicide bomber right before he exploded himself. The CO died immediately. This guy was paralyzed from the waist down and has horrific scars. We're talking about real heroes here. And we tattooed over their scars to help them heal. And so there was a real intention there. Um, funny enough, we did our research. Tattooing, it is believed, is allowed. Most of the modern rabbis, if it helps heal, like anything else, to save a life, mm-hmm. right? 
So it's like if you were in a horrible fire and you needed a skin graft, plastic surgery is is allowed. We we can get into whether or not. Anyway, <laughs> I disagree. According to the Torah, it does not say you can't have a tattoo. Just for the record, it's more like your gr- grandparents used that to keep you from doing it. It's more taboo than it is disallowed by uh, halakhic law. Anyway, we're going to have to put you on the on the halakhic show. <laughs> put me on. on. I'm ready to go. I researched this. <laughs> um, so you know, yes, of course, there were people who were very angry at what we were doing, you know, the ultra-Orthodox. But for the most part, people said, you know what? I am no one. I do not have the chutzpah to tell a war hero or someone who was in a terrorist attack how they should heal themselves. And the truth is, this has done wonders. You know, I get calls all the time. Like, Craig, I used to wake up and see my scar and have flashbacks. Now I wake up and I see a tattoo, and what I know is that people from around the world care enough about me to try to make me feel better. I see beauty now as opposed to the violence that was inflicted upon me. I choose how my body is perceived. Not, It's not chosen by the terrorist. Well, it certainly is a, a very, very beautiful uh, way of, of doing things. Not just uh, must be quite a different experience from maybe doing the, the street art or, or, or fashioners or, or small... Uh, creatures that people are making out of art (laughs) well you know this is the first time we did that event actually in the israel museum so who would have known the thing that got us into the israel museum (laughs) next to original basquiat we actually tattooed in front of original magritte to bring it all full circle (laughs) Um, we tattooed next to mummies i mean you know centuries old i don't even know how old like um actual sarcophaguses you know of all the things in the world that's going to get us into the israel museum it was tattooing um but it was a wonderful experience and it's the most intimate obviously of everything we're doing and literally we're getting inside someone's body um and the the influence and effect it had on these world famous tattoo artists that we brought two of them are tv stars um these are like you, the ones you see on reality television yeah, shows top thing the judges on these shows right like ink master and best ink sponsorship check can be sent to um <laughs> Yo, these guys I want I want a cut. Oh, by the way, after after this, right. no, I want a cut no, of all the sponsorship check. Come on. <laughs> um, so you know they got to meet not just the community, but they met real individual Israelis and shared their one-on-one stories. Incredible, incredible. That brings us pretty much to the end of the show for today, Craig. If people want to get in touch with you, they want to see the art, they want to be involved. What's the best way for them to do it? I think the best way is go do to you, our website. We do you leave your number on like the the murals? <laughs> You know, it's funny. We often don't sign our murals because we're always like, what's the next thing we can paint to help people? And I'm right. really bad at self-promotion, <laughs> um, believe it or not. Uh, but they can go to our website, of course, artistsforisrael.org. That's the number four, not the word. Um, and then, of course, they can go to Facebook, Instagram. You know, we're, we're, we're doing graffiti, so we're all over the social media. Um, and you can just – you know what? I say this. I'm proud. Google us. You'll see tons of great stuff, tons of bad press. Just It's out there. We're very open and transparent of who we are. You'll find that artwork. And then don't just stay with us. Look at the artists. Find your favorite artist. Google their work. Let's, you know, let's not make this about us and them. Let's make this about, let's see some really pretty things. Support your local artists as well Amen. because so that they can see 
I guess, uh, also a difference from having engaged with you in a new community. Shout out to Mars, Zesta, Bias, Falco, Rasty. Shout out to all the South Africans. Look at the walls differently, people. There's some beautiful stuff right where you're driving to work every day. Yeah, purple elephants all over the place. Brings us to the end of the show for today. That was Craig Dershowitz. He's from Artists for Israel. As usual, we like your comments, criticisms, and death threats. You can send them to us at Benji at Chai.co.za or find us on Twitter. The station handle is at FM or at Benji underscore Shulman. And we will see you next time on the new Blue Review.